Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning. There's my rug again. It's getting out of hand. So, you guys doing well? Life treating you well? This week was good for you? It's really, <laughs> Tim, he's like, eh, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so maybe it was good for you, it was good for me. It was good for me probably because I started my week off from last week, going into a week knowing that my, uh, my daughter was baptized and she had given her heart to Jesus. And it, it's such a, such a big deal, I think, uh, for all of us. I think we all understand this, it's a big deal. But it's a really big deal uh, for a mom and a dad. It's a really big deal because you... you you care for your kids a lot, right? You, you want what's best for your kids. Well, how much better can you get than eternity? How much better can you get than new life and, 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 and forever and, and a relationship with Jesus? It's just unbelievable. So, so I, I have to say that it was a, a really fun week. But as I uh, reflected on this week, it really stirred in my heart uh, a question that I have been asked a thousand times, you've probably asked yourself a thousand times. Um, pastors in droves ask this question all the time. Uh, if you do a YouTube search on this question, if you do a Google search on this question, there will be an endless supply of answers to this question. Before I give you the question, uh, before I share with you what that question is, I, I want you to understand that what I'm about to share today is by no means an attempt to be an exhaustive understanding or an exhaustive answer. I simply want us to look to the scripture, look to God's word, and find out what he says about this question. Now, I'm going to ask you the question, but don't have any anxiety in you. This is no, there's no pop quiz here, okay? <laughs> I don't need you to write out a piece of paper with your name on it and turn it in later. I, I say that to reduce your anxiety. I do not say that to get you out of being able to answer this question. It is vital that you understand what this, uh, what this subject is. And the question is quite simply this. What is the gospel? That's the question. What is the gospel? That's what we're going to talk about today, this morning, uh, because I want you all to have a, a, a more robust, is the best way I can put it, a more robust understanding uh, and answer to this question. Because there are a thousand opinions out there, a thousand ideas out there, but the problem is, is that God himself defines the gospel for us. God himself is the originator, the writer, he is the promisor of the gospel, he's the one who gave this, gave this to us. And so we need to look back to him. So this morning, we're going to talk about this subject, we're going to talk about the gospel. In doing so, I'm going to break it into three different sections. The first thing is that we're going to define the terms. We're going to talk about this term in Greek called gospel, okay? And what does that mean? And it, it's not going to take very long to understand that, but I, but I want you to know it. Then we're going to, to go into three things that I have observed that I think we all need to observe uh, in the gospel's relationship to the scripture. And there is a relationship between the scriptures, the Holy Bible, the, the, the word of God, and the gospel contained therein. And we need to understand that uh, difference. And then, or we, they're not different, but we need to understand that relationship. And then after we talk about that, we're just going to go into some scriptures. And I think some of these scriptures, which I hope you'll write down, I hope you'll uh, take notes on, I hope you'll go home today and not buy everything that I tell you. And not just accept what I say because somehow I've got 
some insider infallibility. It's not true. I want you to go home and I want you to test what the Word of God says. I want you to see it for yourselves. I want you to learn this for yourselves because this is so important. So without further ado, let's just define the terms right off the bat. The word gospel is a Greek word pronounced euangelion. Will you say that with me? Euangelion. You just sound awesome doing that. One more time. Euangelion. Euangelion actually comes from two different Greek words. First, it's you, and then angelos, or angelion, which is how it puts together with you. But you simply means good. Okay? You simply means good. Angelion is actually the word that we use, or the, uh, the originating word, for where we get the term angel. Okay, angel. But angelion means message, and that fits perfectly because that's exactly what angels are. They're messengers of God, quite like a prophet is, quite like an apostle was, quite like a teacher is supposed to be in preaching or proclaiming the word of God, not just their opinions, but the word of God, right? And so euangelion is actually a word that means good message. So here's the definition of it, good message. And in the modern vernacular, in our our way of communicating, we simply say good news, Okay, so when the gospel is declared throughout the scriptures, it is, it is the euangelion, it is the good news. But here's what you know instinctively about the gospel. Here's what you know instinctively about good news. Good news is not just words. Good news has substance. There is something behind the good news. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you were to come to me and say, hey Nathan, good news, we have had our first child. I would say, that's great news. That's amazing news. When do I get to meet the child? Why? Because the substance of the good news is not just that you have a child. Like, that's fantastic. You could be lying to me, right? But if you say, good news, I have a child, and here he or she is. It's really powerful because the child represents the substance of the good news. Maybe you come to me and you say, hey, I've got good news. I found the one. I found this person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I found the person that I'm going to marry. And true enough, I would say, man, that's great news. That's great news. This is good news. But I would expect, and this is specific for teenage boys, I would expect to eventually meet the girl because you usually just lie about the girls that you found, okay? It's just nonsense. But the point is that there's got to be substance to this. You don't just get to make this stuff up, right? And so likewise, the gospel in the scripture, yes, it's good news. And yes, it fills the pages of scripture, but there is substance to it. And when we get into the scriptures this morning, we're going to see the substance of the gospel. Here's, here's my fear in the modern church. My fear is that many of of us are preaching a gospel that has no substance. We're preaching a gospel that has no substance. And if our gospel has no substance, hear me clearly, church, if our gospel has no substance, then what we're preaching is fairy tales. What we're preaching is just words, and they don't mean anything to people. They don't transform people. Okay, so it's really important. So we have euangelion. It means good message or Good news. The good news has substance to it. Now, here's three things that I want you to see uh, that, that relate the gospel and the scripture and how they uh, intertwine. Number one, the Bible doesn't provide us with a script for the gospel, although the gospel is contained in the Bible. Let me explain what I mean. There is no chapter and there is no verse that we go to that says when you're sharing your faith with those around you, here's what you say to them. Now, 
How many of you would agree that it would be much easier if God would have just given us a script? (laughs) It would have been awesome. You're like, here's the gospel. Bam, and you just spill it out. But here's why I believe that God didn't give us a script. Because I think God knows the human heart. I think God knows what we do with systems and routines and and scripts. I think God knows how we make man-made religion out of good and pure and undefiled religion. We turn it into something that it's not. Can I get an amen? You guys know what I'm talking about. We've, We've done this. I'll give you an example. We've done this with the Lord's Prayer. We've done this with the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know that in the Gospels, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says these words. He says, I want you to pray along these lines. He does not say, say these words. That's a really important thing. But what have we done as Christians? We formulated it. It's awesome. So what do we do? We go into church and we go, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, it's just meaningless because you just go through this. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who recites that prayer doesn't have a deep, uh, has a deep disdain for it or, or, or doesn't mean it. Some people do. Some people deeply care about that. And that tradition means a whole lot to them. But Jesus said, pray along these lines. And what it means is that we are to revere God in our prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, who is God? He is our Father. He is the one that we run to, right? Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, in our prayer, we're relinquishing our will and our rights and our control. We're like, how about you do it? (laughs) We'll just go with your plan instead of ours. You see, if you pray along those lines, it can take many forms, can it? It can be unbelievably freeing when you learn to pray along those lines, just not according to that script. And just like we did with the Lord's Prayer, I think we would do that with the gospel, which is why I don't believe God gave us this. I believe that God gave us the gospel throughout the story of human history. And here's another reason why I think he gave it to us this way. Because we love stories. Did you know that? We love stories. Men, I know you love stories because you make them up all the time, right? The fish was this big, right? We love stories. Stories are awesome. Stories communicate something of deep value. And guess what else is really awesome about stories? They're easier to remember. How many of you you loved those memorization tests when you were in school? You're like, nope, 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 nope. Apart from English class, how many of you loved when you got to read a story or maybe the teacher set you down and wanted a day off so they pushed play on a movie? And you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Teachers are cheaters, okay? So it's just the way it is, right? But as soon as, (laughs) you guys know it. Anyway, so that being said, I've got a video for you and I'm gonna sit down. Anyway, so no, uh, the point point is, is that stories are easy for us to remember. I want you guys to realize that the Bible does not provide us with a script for the gospel. John 3.16 is not the script to the gospel. Romans chapter 6, or chapter 1, 1 through 6, is not the script of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is not the script to the gospel. They're amazing. They contain the gospel. They communicate the gospel. But there is no script for it. And yet at the same time, where do we run to find out where the gospel is? The Bible. We run to the Bible. Listen, you don't get to go in your own prayer closet and make up a new gospel. (laughs) 
<laughs> Please stop doing that, okay? <laughs> we end up with all kinds of twisted religions. So number one, the Bible doesn't provide us with a script for the gospel, although the gospel is contained in the Bible. Number two is this. All scripture is God-breathed, but the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I need you to think about how big this is for just a second. Paul says to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for preaching and teaching, rebuking, correcting, all of those things, okay? And so think about the, the depth of the word of God. It is inspired by God. It was breathed out through men by him, okay? That is intense, isn't it? So right off the bat, from Genesis to Revelation, I'm like, you want to hear God? Read his word. You want to hear him talk out loud? Read it out loud. But anyway, so the point is, is that we see the word of God. It's just amazing. It's inspired. But check this out. Inside of all that inspired word, he makes a distinction and says that the gospel, the words contained in the inspired word of God, the gospel, the euangelion, the good news, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. That to me is powerful. I look at the word of God in awe. I look at it, I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, God is speaking. This is amazing. And inside of God speaking, he says, there's this story inside of my story that is the gospel. It is the power, it is my power unto salvation. There's something really unique about the gospel. Why do I bring it up? Because it's vital we get it right. It's vital we get it right. Listen, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Your personal story, your version of it, is not the power of God unto salvation. There is something about the words contained inside of the scripture, although not scripted, something about them that transform us and change us. And that right there is a powerful reality. Now, the next point that I'm going to bring up is, can be offensive. So before it hits the screen, I want to... I want to Put a disclaimer in there. I want, I want to kind of ease, ease your mind. Before, before you read this or before I read it to you, I want you to understand that I understand that this can be offensive. But if you will listen to me fully, if you'll listen to my statement completely, I think you'll understand where my heart's coming from and why it's so important that we understand this next statement. Now listen, I know because when we hear things that are offensive, what we do is we shut down and we go, I disagree with that guy. Okay, cool. Write it down. Go home and prove me wrong. I'm fine with that. But listen to what I have to say and listen to why I'm saying it because this is vitally important. Number three, here it is. Your testimony is not the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. This is so, so, so important. Your testimony is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. Your testimony is no more the gospel than a testimony in a court of law is the act that's on trial. The act or the person that's on trial in a court of law stands alone. Your testimony is simply your observation, your encounter, your experience with the event or the things that took place. Do you understand that? Okay. The reason why that this is so important, and I know it gets offensive to some people, the reason why this is so important is because many in the church today don't proclaim the gospel. All they do is walk around and tell their testimony. And that's awesome. 
Your testimony is awesome. Your testimony is valid. Your testimony is special. You should share it. You should write it down to remind yourself of it when you're having a bad day because you'll most likely forget what God's already done for you. But what you have to remember is that your testimony is nothing unless it communicates, unless you go further and communicate the gospel. Your testimony is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Listen, you could say, yeah, but look at the scriptures. I mean, there's some amazing testimonies in the scripture, like John 9, for example. There's a blind man. He says, all I know is that I once was blind and now I see. I mean, that's, a, that's the gospel. No, that's a blind man who can now see. What was the gospel? Read the story. The Pharisees didn't want to believe in this Jesus character. And they said, he's one of two things. We have to deal with it. He's either who he says he is or he's of the devil. And this man goes, listen, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the healer. And here's how I know. Here's all I know. I once was blind and now I see. You see, his testimony was an example of what that gospel produced in his, his life. But without pointing to Jesus, we have a really, really big problem. I once was blind and now I see. Awesome. How does that affect me? Doesn't affect me. Take the woman at the well. Come meet a man who knows everything that I've ever done. Every experience that's ever happened to me. Like, this guy's kind of freaky. He just told me everything. Come and meet a man. You know that her being encountered by Jesus is not the gospel. Her leading people back to Jesus is where the gospel begins. She says, come meet a man. Come meet one who knows something who can see something, who understands something. This is powerful. You have to understand your testimony is not the gospel. Now, I want to just kind of throw this out there. I've heard this so many times that it is not an outlier. It is not, it's, it's become common to me. And so it's really interesting. Here's, here's what I hear. I'll have somebody come to the church, whether it was the church I was at before or or here, I'll have somebody come to the church, and here's what they'll say. I'll ask them, hey, what's your testimony? Like, what, what, what happened to you? And if this hadn't happened so many times, I think, who cares? But, but I have people come up to me, and they say, they say, okay, so my life was in shambles. It was a wreck, right? It's total chaos. My relationships were abysmal. My, uh, my family had abandoned me. My friends walked away. My work life was rough. I got into drugs and alcohol. I got into all these different things. It was just really chaotic. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty much like most of us, right? Some form of that chaos in the past. And then, and then the next thing is, but then I came here, okay? And somebody will say, then I came here. And I'm like, okay, keep going with the story. Because this does make a pastor feel good, but they'll say, then I came here. Okay, so what'd you experience? Man, this has happened so many times, church. Man, I came in here and I met people who loved me for who I am. They loved me just the way I am. And then they stopped. And I'm like, okay, what, what's, that, what's that mean? They're like, here's the best part. Here's the exclamation point on my testimony. I used to hate church. I used to not be a part of it. I was just a heathen like everybody else. But when I walked into this church and I felt the love of these Christians here, I've never looked back. I've been in church ever since. You want to know what my next question is? Makes a lot of people mad. So did you get saved? 
Did you give your life to Jesus? You see, what you've just experienced is obedient Christians, not obedience to Christ. Do you understand the difference, church? What you just experienced were really cool Christians. And so when I hear that, here's the joy that comes into my heart. The joy that comes into my heart is that I, I thank God for you guys at that point. When people go, man, I, I fell in love with the people here. They showed me immense love. They showed me compassion. They loved me. They loved me right there in my moment, in my weakness, in whatever it is. They loved me. And my thought is, man, we finally have some Christians doing the stuff. That's cool, right? They're actually loving people. But when that is the testimony of an individual, nothing says they gave their life to Jesus. They simply experienced obedient Christians, not obedience to Christ. Guys, you should not be ashamed to look at people and say, I'm glad you've experienced great love. I'm glad you've come to church. The gospel isn't come to church. <laughs> anyway, okay, so I'll get past myself here in a second. The gospel isn't come to church. The gospel is come to Jesus. The gospel is something altogether different. And so you should not be afraid to look at somebody and say, I'm glad you love our church. Do you love Jesus? I'm glad you love our church. But do you love Jesus? You realize why the church is in the shambles it's in? Because there's a whole lot of people who've experienced obedient Christians, but they've not yet experienced obedience to Christ. They've not surrendered anything. This is why this week meant so much to me because I got to dunk my daughter. I got to start a journey with her. She experienced all of you guys, and she loves every one of you, save a couple. But she loves you guys, right? She loves our church. I have to tell you this story. I have to tell you this story. It's really amazing. My aunt came to church for the first time in quite a while last week, okay, in quite a while. She walked through the doors. This is the boldness I am sowing into my daughter. Makes me happy. She walks up to her and she goes, you haven't been here in so long. I probably need to show you where everything is. I love that girl. She is so fantastic. I was like, you, you are awesome, awesome. Okay, so anyway, so here's, here's the point, guys. We've got to be Christians that understand that the gospel is far more than our testimonies. And the testimonies we hear need to be testimonies of confession of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, all that people have experienced, please hear me out, all that people have experienced is obedient Christians, not obedience to Christ. That's what we're called to. So, euangelion means good message. It means good news. Good message, good news has substance to it. That substance looks this way. There's no script in the Bible for it, but the Bible contains the gospel so that we can understand all of those things. Ryan, go ahead and put those points up. So, so the, the gospel is contained in the scripture. We get to read all throughout that scripture, and we get to find that. We get to know that all scripture is God-breathed, but the gospel is the power of God. That is a fantastic reality. And then last but not least, your testimony is not the gospel. Which means if we're going to get this right, we've got to look beyond ourselves. We've got to look back to the scripture. We've got to look back to the Bible, which is exactly what we're going to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
Here's the lion's share of the message today. Here's the real important components of the message today because we're coming from the word of God. Here's what Paul says. Paul, a bondservant, this is a, this is a willful slave, okay? He may have been a servant before, but he has loved his master and he has surrendered himself willfully to his master. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel, say it with me, church, of God. Who is the gospel of, church? Of God. God. Not of me. Not of you. Not of the local church. Not of the local pastor. It's of God. And we have to keep our thumb on the pulse of that at all times. Because we've got to return to the gospel of God. So here's what Paul goes on to say. This gospel is of God, which he promised beforehand through his, say it with me, prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. You have to make sure you understand this. Number one, the gospel is of God, not of us. Number two, the gospel is a promise. It is a promise. And that promise was made beforehand. What's beforehand mean? Well, we know at least beforehand means from the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that God foreordained our redemption through Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. God's promise started before we ever did anything good or bad. That, to me, impressive truth, okay? God made a promise. He knew what we would do. He knew our proclivities, our, our tendencies. We knew, he knew we would fall away from him. And he made a plan. Isn't that just amazing? Which he promised beforehand, before the foundation of the world. He has spoken it to us. The gospel has been spoken to us through the prophets and his holy scriptures. What scriptures would Paul be referring to? The Old Testament, you cannot unhitch, no matter what any popular pastor says, you cannot unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. Why? Here's why. The gospel's there. The gospel's there. What's, what is the gospel again? It's the euangelion. It's the good message. It's the good news. It has substance, but that substance is that it's the power of God unto salvation. That is powerful. We have to remember, when we look to the Old Testament, it communicated the promise of God, the gospel of God unto salvation. People ask me this question all the time. How are the people in the Old Testament saved? The same way they're saved in the New Testament, by faith. By faith in a promise to come, and we believe in a promise yet to come again. Right? Jesus' return. They believed it. How do I know they believed it? Because the gospel was preached to them. They're not confused. What was that gospel? Look in the Garden of Eden. You can see the gospel preached to Eve. It was that the, the son, the descendant of Eve, would crush the serpent's head with his heel. This is a shadow of Jesus. This is a pointing to Jesus, right? What is the gospel to Abraham? That through his seed, the world would be blessed. Blessing not the way we understand it, not through silver and gold, not through health and wealth and prosperity, but blessed because of salvation, because of a redemption through this. The gospel has been being proclaimed. Hebrews 11 tells us that all the people, that Hebrews 11 is often referred to as like the hall of fame of faith chapter in the Bible, and it lists all these people and the mighty things they did. And yet there's this staggering line at the end of Hebrews 11, verse 39. It tells us, it tells us that none of these received the promises, and they died. 
Well, it doesn't mean they didn't receive the particular promise God made for them. It meant that they did not receive yet the coming of the Messiah. And the reason for that was so that when he came, he came for all of us at the same time. I don't know how that works. God's cool and bigger than I am. But the point is, the promise that they were wanting and striving for that they had not yet received was Jesus. Isn't that powerful? So in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we're saved by grace through faith in a Messiah to come. His prophets and his holy scriptures. And guess what? The gospel is concerning his son. If you are proclaiming a gospel that has nothing to do with Jesus, you're preaching nonsense. Or maybe you're preaching your testimony, but you haven't quite got to the Jesus part yet. Okay? You've got to make sure that you understand the gospel void of Jesus is no gospel. The power of God unto salvation void the son who it concerns is no power whatsoever. So what does Paul go on to say? Look at this. This is cool. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Who was? Just so we know who we're talking about here. Who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Guess what that communicates? Well, to a Jewish first century person, it communicates God claimed a promise or made a promise that the Messiah, the blessing, would come through the line of David, and he kept the promise. There's no way to work around it. He kept the promise. He was born according to a descendant or of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared, say it with me, church, the Son of God by what? Look at what happens next. The Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. See, the Greeks think of this message as foolishness. It says that the gospel is a stumbling block to a Jew, and it is an offense, an offense or foolishness, in some translations, to the the Greco-Roman world. Why? Because it would sound like foolishness to you if you said the world got saved through a Jewish carpenter. The end of the story. The world got saved through a Jewish carpenter who went to a cross, who shed his blood to fulfill a promise of God, to die for the sins of humanity, to be buried, and on the third day, raised from the dead, proving, well, he ain't normal. (laughs) Right? It's really, really important that we understand this. The Apostle Paul goes on in uh, in the next verse, or in uh, 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going. Ryan, go ahead. No? Never mind, keep going to Romans. That's awesome. You tell me where I'm going. It's awesome. Verse 5 and 6, through whom we have received grace. Now, of course, salvation is by grace through faith. There's no question. But he's referring to the apostles and their life. He says, whom we, he distinguishes we from you here in just a second. He says, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Hold on a second. There's a really interesting piece of the gospel right there. Obedience of the faith? Too many times, church, we preach a gospel that does not call people to obedience. It's nonsense. This is what the gospel does. The gospel calls people to obedience of the faith among the Gentiles, because he's talking to Gentiles, for his name's sake, among whom you, the distinguished from us, you, you are also called of Jesus Christ. So here's what we have so far. The gospel is of God. 
The gospel is a promise that God is keeping or has kept as we live on this side of history, right? The promise is, there's a promise that God has kept. That promise is concerning his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel without Jesus is nothing, right? It's concerning his son. It was spoken to the prophets of old. That's why we say the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. We get, we get it there. It was spoken to the prophets of old that he was a descendant of David and he was confirmed to be the son of God through what? Resurrection. Resurrection. All that so that the apostles and the, and the other people in the New Testament could call us to the obedience of the faith when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's what we have so far. Look at this passage from 1 Corinthians because this is commonly quoted as like the best thing we can get to a script for the gospel. Here's what he says. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Say it with me, church. The gospel. Okay, do we know what we're talking about? The gospel, okay? Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received. So you don't just hear the gospel and everything's changed. You receive the gospel. That's another code word for you believe the gospel, right? You received the gospel, in which you also stand. How do you stand in the gospel? Obedience to the faith, church. Obedience to the faith. That's what we're called to do. We stand in that gospel by which you also are saved. It's called us to something. It's beautiful. But here's what Paul says that often becomes a script for the gospel. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So put those two together in the previous verses. He says, I'm preaching to you the gospel, and this is of first importance in the gospel. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here's something that needs clarified. As I've heard teacher after teacher after teacher try to explain this. And I'm not saying that you should listen to me. I'm saying you should consider what I'm saying. He says this is of first importance. If you walked up to a stranger on the road and you said, listen, and and somebody said to you, you only have two lines, you only have two sentences that you can deliver to this person. Give them what is of first importance. Let's say you went up to them and you said, Jesus died according to the scriptures and he was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Would that change anything? Maybe if God's working behind the scenes, which is what God does, right? Just through words. Of first importance doesn't mean that's the script that you have to force into every gospel presentation. It is what that script says. See, Jesus died according to the scriptures. Why is that gospel? Why does Jesus even have to die? Have you ever thought the question, why does he have to die? Because of what the gospel says. That through his blood, we have reached the propitiation, or we have come to the propitiation of our sins. We have assuaged, his blood has assuaged the wrath of God. It has put it aside. Why is it of first importance that Christ died according to the scriptures? Because if he doesn't die, his blood isn't shed. If his blood isn't shed, you're still in your sin. It's not just the words. Those words are beautiful. Those words are important. Those words of first importance communicate what was done in that moment. 
Jesus had to die. If you want to talk about anything about the scriptures, here's what you probably should say to people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death, but this is of first importance. Jesus died so you don't die in those sins. That's the gospel, church. That's the gospel message. See, now we're starting to pick at the substance of the gospel instead of something else. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's vital that we understand what the message communicates. And of first importance, what? That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know what Paul says about belief in the resurrection? Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're to be pitied above all men. That your faith is futile, it's worthless. You should just go back home. Think about that for just a second. Why does that matter? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, dead, guess what still reigns? Death. Death. What is of first importance in Paul's writing here? What's of first importance is that if Jesus doesn't die, we're still in our sins because his blood isn't shed. And if he doesn't raise from the dead, death still reigns and we look forward to nothing. Do you understand why that's so important? So when we're preaching the gospel, we've got to start getting back to the truth of the gospel. It's of God. It's a promise. Guess what the promise was? Jesus, born of David. Jesus, who rose from the dead, declaring to be the, declared to be the Son of God. Why? Because his blood made you free and his life makes you live. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not this feel-good hogwash with no substance of the current culture. And I'm going to get on my soapbox here in a second. So smile. Okay, so Paul, Paul goes back. We go back to Romans. Here's what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can you say that with me? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Say it with me like you actually mean it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's a pretty awesome statement, isn't it? Why would you need to be ashamed of the modern gospel? After all, the modern gospel is simply this. Hey, Jesus loves you. Did you know that's not the gospel? What? What? Oh, he's getting to be a jerk here in a second. Okay, Jesus loves you. Not the gospel. Not the gospel. Not the gospel. Jesus loves you has no substance behind it. Walk up to a stranger on the, on the street. Hey, Jesus loves you. They're like, I know. He should. <laughs> right? Jesus loves you because I'm a good person. Of course he should love me. Jesus loves you. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to go about my business now that you told me that. I don't get why you're telling me that. Right? Atheist. Jesus loves you. I don't even believe God exists. Why do I care if the non-existent God loves me? See, there's no substance to this nonsense. And there would be no reason for Paul to declare with boldness, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If the whole gospel was Jesus loves you. You don't get ashamed of that. You don't get ashamed of that. See, another thing that we have to realize is that Paul didn't live in our context. They weren't atheists in his context. They were polytheists in his context. For you to say, I believe in God, wasn't to venture into ridicule. For you to say that you believe in a God and he happens to love, the Romans, the Corinthians, they would have just said, put him alongside the other gods we have stacked up here. Fine, great. There's no call for shame in that. 
Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel because Paul knows the real gospel. Paul doesn't know the nonsense that we know. So let's just harp on the, the fake gospel of the current culture. Here's the most famous passage of that, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Put it on your bumper sticker. Wear it on your T-shirt. It's all you need to tell people. <coughs> Bullcrap. Okay, so anyway, so here's the deal. Yes, you're using the word of God, and you're not using it right. Look at what comes after, for God so loved the world. It's a comma. What? Oh, there's a period. God so loves me, period. Yes, that's all I want to ever tell anybody. Comma, what's he say next? That he gave his only begotten son. What's that? A comma. Ah, oh. think about this. God loves you. He gave his son. You know what the natural response is? Natural response is, that doesn't make a dang bit of sense, <laughs> right? Okay, so God loves me. That's great. Why does he have to give his son? Does, does he not love him? Is he like expendable? Do you just throw him out? No, 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 no. No, we just haven't read the full gospel, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now think about what happens when this message is preached. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Time out. <laughs> What's this perish nonsense you're talking about? Why am I going to perish? Why am I going to perish? Because you're a sinner. Because you're a sinner. You see, here's... <laughs> This is so important. The gospel is not I love you with no substance. The gospel is I love you enough to do something. I love you enough to do something. I shared this with the father's group the other day, two weeks ago. I said, could you imagine your kids are in the backyard? And when I was picturing this, uh, I, I want you to understand it's never happened in my house. Don't call two for one kids. I will beat you. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal, Okay. So imagine your kids are in the backyard and they're running around and they're playing and they're laughing and they're having fun. But they're playing and laughing and having fun with really sharp knives as they run around the yard. They're just having some fun, right? I mean, they're having a blast, okay? Somebody in father's group kind of got this in their mind and they're like, that sounds like Ryan Burke, right? It was. That's what he was when we were kids. Quick story, when we were in kid, kids' church growing up, the dude brought Chinese stars to church, okay? He was seven, Okay, I don't, just, just look at John and Kathy with different eyes from now on. But anyway, so, so anyway, they're out in the backyard. Let's say they're playing with knives. How awesome, how loving would it be for a dad to poke his head out the back and say, I love you, shut the door. That's the modern nonsense gospel. We're all playing with knives. It's called sin. And what we preach to the world is that God peeps his head out the back door and says, I love you. Just so you know. And he goes back to his business. This is not the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Hey guys, I love you. Now give me the daggone knives. That's what love is. But you know that when you have to surrender something, it's offensive in our culture? That's why the gospel is offensive. That's why people would get offended. That's why Paul says, I'm not offended at the gospel. I am not offended at the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus loves you. The gospel is Jesus loved you enough to die for you because you needed dying for. Jesus loved you enough to die for you and raise from the dead for you because you would have no life otherwise. That is the gospel. It's not just the God so loved. And what I love about John 3.16 is that it, it's backed up by John 3.17 and 18. Here's what it says. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Modern translation. I want you to understand what that means. 
It does not mean that God will never judge sinners. It meant that when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't come to drop the hammer. He came to show you grace. He will drop it if you refuse to believe in him. Okay? He did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes, there's the contingency, in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Can you read that with me? Uh, he who does not believe has been judged already. The cross doesn't communicate your value. The cross may establish your value, but it doesn't communicate it. You want to know where you were before Jesus came to die for you? You weren't righteous. You weren't good. Only some people might dare to die for that. No, you stood condemned. You were condemned in God's eyes. What? Are you serious? Yes. So why does God come and die for us? Because of the kind intention of his will. Nothing else. Why does God die for sinners? Because he wants to. Not because of something in me. Not because of anything in me, but because of his kind intention. Why? Because we already stood condemned and judged. Because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Paul goes back. Paul goes, oh yes, Romans 2, 4. Paul says this. He says, the kindness of God leads to repentance. You know what that's used for? I'm glad Ryan's back there today because he's keeping me on my actual sermon. It's really great. So you know what this is used for? This is used for an excuse to never preach to people that they are sinners and that hell is real and that there's a problem. Here's what we hear from people all the time. They're like, yeah, that gospel that you're preaching, I think you should cool it. You should talk about the kingdom. You should talk about the benefits. You should talk about the blessings. You should talk about all that stuff. Those are cool things for Christians. Those are awesome things for Christians. We should be talking about that all the time. How many of you, show of hands, know that Christians need to hear the gospel too? Yes, we need to hear the gospel. And we need to hear those beautiful truths that are our promises, that are our gifts inside of Jesus. Not outside, but inside of Jesus. But this is a commonly quoted verse in today's culture against preaching hell because what people say is, well, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not fear. It's not wrath. It's not judgment. It's not that. Read the Bible, please. Because in its context, it says that's exactly what God wanted. Here's what it says in context. Or do you think lightly of the riches, of the kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? You want to know what the backstory is? Paul 1 is talking to Christians, not to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians who are sinning that grace might abound. And his statement to them is... Do you think so little of the work of Jesus? Do you think so little of the kindness of God that led you to repentance that you would continue to walk in unrighteousness and brokenness and sin in the world? Do you, you really think that that's a good thing to do? Are you willing to spit on that cross? Is that what you're really saying? Paul does not say, hey guys, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It has nothing to do with your sin. It's nothing to do with judgment. He doesn't want you to know about that stuff. All you should tell people is God loves you. Nonsense. What you need to know is you need a Savior. What we need to know is we need a Savior. See, people who preach a watered-down gospel, they're not preaching a watered-down gospel to the help of their hearers. They're preaching a watered-down gospel because they want people to like them. 
So I'm going to say this with the greatest heart I can muster right now. I don't care if you like me. I know that you, you don't like me. I know it. Anyway, so, anyway, I'm preaching to this side from now on. I don't, I don't mean that in a heartless way. I mean that to say the truth is I love you enough. We should love the world enough to tell them the truth. Not our watered-down nonsense. So Paul goes back. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, the gospel is, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. He goes on. Look at this. It's really awesome. For in it, in what? In the gospel. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. When, the, when you preached the gospel last, when you shared with somebody the truth about Jesus, did it ever come out of your mouth the righteous requirement of God? Because it's in the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteous requirement of God, the righteousness of God is revealed and it's revealed from faith to faith. It's revealed from the message of the gospel to an obedience to the gospel. That's what from faith to faith means. I'll show you that in just a second. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul in Romans 10 says this. He says, but what does it say, the gospel? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. The gospel is also called the word of faith. The word of faith which we are preaching the gospel. Look what he goes on to say. The word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. From faith, the word of faith, to faith. A life lived resulting in righteousness. A confession with the heart. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So back to Paul in Romans 1, or Romans, yeah, Romans 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from the faith of the message to the faith in action, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he concludes with this in this section. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed as well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Number one, it's a message. It's a message that was contained in the scriptures. It's a message of good news that has substance to it. Not just, hey, Jesus loves you. Has substance to it. It's a, it's a message that contains the promise of God. It is the promise of God that was preached, that was made up, created before the foundation of the world. It was communicated to us through the prophets and the holy scriptures. It communicates that Jesus is the son of David. It communicates that Jesus rose from the dead. It communicates that as of first importance, Christ died according to the scriptures. 
because we had to have blood shed for us to wash away our sins. It communicates as of first importance that Jesus was buried and on the third day rose from the dead because with that resurrection, we have life and death is dead. Okay? This is the gospel. The gospel is not what we want to make it. The gospel will offend the world. How many of you know that? The gospel will offend the world, but our made-up, generic, cheating versions of the gospel, they won't offend anybody. And we only preach them because we want people to like us. It's not worth it, church. It's not worth it, church. I'll end with this. I've shared this before, but it's a good reminder. Pendulette, famous atheist magician. He's a fantastic magician. He's quite a funny guy, and he's a really good thinker. He comes to wrong conclusions, but he's a really great thinker, okay? Pendulette was asked a question about whether he thought or wanted Christians to preach about hell. And Pendulette, a very famous atheist, a very staunch atheist, said, I want every Christian who believes what they believe to tell me that there is a hell. And the person interviewing says, why? Why would you want that? He said, because of this. It would be the most unloving thing possible for you to truly believe there is a hell and a punishment for me if I don't believe in Jesus and to, for you to not tell me about it. He said, most Christians in today's world think they're being loving. They're most unloving. If you want to be a loving Christian, you tell people the truth. That's an atheist who says that. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. You know what the local church says? The local church says, kindness of God leads to repentance. You've misquoted it, church. You've missed the point, church. It is the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God to call out to the backyard and to take the knives away from the kids, right? It would have been really kind and loving if John and Kathy would have taken Ryan's <laughs> knives. But they clearly did not love him. The point is... I'll get that later anyway. <laughs> the point is... John's not coming back to Father's group. It's just not happening. He's like, forget that, idiot. Anyway, so here's, here's the point. God loved us enough to do something, church. He loved us enough to do something. He died on a cross for us. He rose from the dead for us. And we have life if we believe in him and we trust him. When you go preach the gospel, please do not miss it. Please do not miss it. Please do not shortchange the gospel. Do what God says. Preach what he says. It, and only it, is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.